morning. Good morning. And uh, Merry Christmas uh, to each one of you this morning. I have always, uh, even when I was a kid, remembering back to uh, Christmas falling on a Sunday. And I don't know why, but I always enjoyed uh, Christmas on a Sunday and the chance to, uh, to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ um, on, on a special day like this. So I hope you, uh, hope you enjoy it as, as well and uh, grateful for the opportunity to sing together uh, oh, holy night, and always thankful for sopranos who can help us make it through, uh, make it through those, those high notes. Let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. reading glasses, so if you would dispense with the laughter, uh, that, would be, uh, that would be kind of you, all right? Um, so, uh, you know, old age, it sets in and, and, and these kinds of things are needed, so. Uh, but Luke chapter 2, and the portion of scripture we're going to look at this morning is uh, Jesus in the temple uh, 40 days after his birth and his encounter with Simeon, and I think this would be a helpful passage for us to consider this morning, and I trust it would be an encouragement for us. As we, uh, as we consider it together. So let's look at Luke chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 22, and we'll read uh, down through verse 35. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to, their, to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's let's pray together. Our Father, we're grateful for this special day to come and to open up the scriptures and to sing songs of praise to you together and to come with thankful hearts at the precious salvation you have given to us. And our desire is that our hearts would be impacted as we open up the 
the truths of your word and unpack the truths of your word so that we would see afresh the beauty of Christ and how precious he is and what he means to us, not just in the form of a baby, but in the purpose of him coming and the precious salvation that he has given. So thank you, Lord, for your grace and the privilege we have to worship you today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> well, growing up, one of my favorite games to play as a kid was Capture the Flag. Anybody remember Capture the Flag? Okay, so I'm not the only one. Whether it was uh, summer camp or whether it was a friend's birthday party or whether it was uh, just a, a day with friends, uh, we loved to don our camouflage and paint our, our faces and uh, trounce through the woods as if we were soldiers going to battle. And this is one of our favorite games to play. In fact, one of my fondest boyhood memories was at summer camp, uh, junior camp, having the, the distinct privilege of capturing the flag. It's not something that, that the elementary kids did. It was just the sponsors that usually were fast enough. And I remember having the privilege of grabbing this flag and, and the adrenaline rush of, of running through the woods, not on any particular path, with pricker bushes and fallen trees and just trying my, to run my fastest to get the flag back to the other side. And, and I made it. And for that small moment in time, I felt like a hero. Right? Even as I look back on the moment, I can, I can remember crossing the line. I can almost hear the music. Then a hero comes along. You know, something, <laughs> something like that. It was, it was that special of a, of a moment for me. Now, you remember in Capture the Flag that uh, there are two sides. There's your side and there's the enemy side. But in between the the two sides, you have what we called no man's land. And this was a, a place where both teams could sort of peacefully exist without any conflict or, or any, any kind of issues. It was, it was a place of neutrality. This is usually the place that the third and fourth grade girls hung out while the men braved the dangers of the, of the woods. Now, I draw your attention to this childhood memory because of what we find in our particular passage here in, in, in Luke chapter 2. We're looking at the story of Simeon's response to the, to the birth of, of the newborn Jesus. And to this point in the gospel, all the encounters with Jesus have been cause for celebration. All right, thank you, Jack. I appreciate that. <coughs> All the encounters with, with Jesus to this point have been cause for celebrations. So Elizabeth, or Elizabeth and Zechariah, when, when they hear that they're going to have a baby who's going to prepare the way for Jesus, theirs is one of salvation because their baby is preparing the way for the Lord. When Mary receives the announcement of Jesus' birth, it's cause for rejoicing because... He is going to sit on the throne of his father, David, and he's going to establish his kingdom. And, and to his kingdom, there will be no end. And when last week we looked at the shepherds and when they received the announcement, it's cause for rejoicing because it's, it's good tidings of great joy for all people because a savior is born, Christ the Lord. So, so up to this point in the, in the gospel of Luke, all through chapter one and chapter two, the, the, the excitement around Jesus has, has, been, has been, as I said, cause for celebration. But in our text this morning, we have the first prediction with any kind of negative outlook 
as it relates to, to the future and, and Jesus' future. In fact, look at verses 34 and 35. <coughs> it says in verse 34 and 35, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. In other words, what, what Simeon's saying in this response is that Jesus is going to be a controversial figure, accepted by many, but also rejected by many. Or to put it another way, in terms of our illustration, there's no such thing as no man's land or neutrality when it comes to Jesus. One either accepts Jesus or rejects Jesus. Now, in our world, people would like to sort of have a neutrality of Jesus and see him as a good teacher and glean from some of the things that he's taught. But here we see that Jesus is a controversial figure and that one either accepts or rejects him. That there is no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. Now, this is not the message that we would expect to come from Simeon's lips, right? I mean, as I said, all the, all the words to this point have been cause for celebration, and, and this is an unlikely message at, at, at this time, following the birth of the Savior. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd say that it's an, it's an unlikely message that we would find this morning, right? We're, we're used to the, to the warm story of the birth of a baby on Christmas. But here we have this, this, this thought and this idea that Jesus is a controversial figure, that he will be a, the, the, the most polarizing figure in, in, in world history. And this is the point that Simeon is making. On account of Jesus, many will fall and many will rise. That there is no neutral response to Jesus. Now, well, that's sort of setting the stage. Let's, let's begin to walk through the story. And I want to come back to Simeon's controversial words or, 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 or uh, predictions of Jesus being controversial uh, at, the end of our, at the end of our time together and sort of tie it all together. So let's begin by setting up this story with a few details that are mentioned. Okay, so the story begins in verse 22 by setting the table for this encounter with Simeon in the temple. And Luke tells us that there were two reasons uh, why they were in the the, the temple, Two, two separate ceremonies. One was purification, and the other was dedication. Okay, so Luke tells us that this purification, in verse 22, was according to the law of the Lord. This is a reference back to Leviticus chapter 12, which stated that a woman who gave birth to a son was ceremonially unclean for 40 days. And during this time, she was to keep separate from from all holy things until she offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And so it's been 40 days, and now Mary and Joseph come so she she can offer the sacrifice to the Lord. She was to offer a lamb and... Uh, and, a, and a dove or a pigeon, according to the law of the Lord, unless they were too poor to afford a lamb, then a second dove or a second pigeon would suffice. And so we catch something into the financial condition of Mary and Joseph as they're, they're here in the temple in verse 24. They, they offer a pair of, of turtle doves. The second reason they were in the temple was for the purpose of dedication. And this was, again, according to the According to the law of the Lord of Exodus chapter 13, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so the firstborn of both man and beast were to be consecrated to the Lord. And so that's what they're coming to do. They're coming to consecrate and dedicate 
dedicate Jesus Christ. So the purpose that Luke tells us is really twofold. Now first he's, he's showing us the, the piety of, of Mary and Joseph. They wanted to walk in a way that pleased the Lord, and they wanted to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so that's the first reason he tells us. But then the second reason is, is that he's setting the stage for this encounter that's going to happen in the temple. So this is, these are the, 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 the details that bring us to the temple, but then he's going to set us up with this encounter with Simeon and later Anna in the verses to follow. And so we're just going to look at Simeon this morning, and, and this brings us to verses 25 to 35. And really we want to break this up into two sections. We want to look at Simeon the man, and then we want to look at Simeon's message. Okay, so the man and the message. So first we're introduced to this character, Simeon. He's one of those characters that we meet frequently in the scriptures, where he appears for just a few verses, uh, an incident occurs, and then we never hear from him again. It seems like this happens frequently in the scriptures. And this is Simeon. We, we really don't know anything about him. We, we don't read about him before this, and we don't read about him after this. And none of the other gospel writers refer to this event in, in, their, in their narratives of, of Jesus' birth. And yet, in spite of the fact that we know nothing about him, the scriptures give him some very high praise. Do they not? They, they don't focus in on his occupation, but they focus in on his spiritual condition. So notice verse 25. We're first told that he was righteous. Now, this is not a term referring specifically to salvation, but to his, his character. And it's used frequently in the New Testament to describe the prophets and the martyrs. Okay, so, so you remember in James, Job is said to be blameless and upright or righteous, one who feared the Lord and turned from, from evil. Uh, similarly, just back a few pages in chapter 1 and verse 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were told that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And so these are the, the characters in, in, the, in, in which the, Luke describes Simeon. Okay, it tells us he was righteous. It also tells us in verse 25 that he was, he was devout, simply meaning that he was a conscientious and careful follower of the Lord. And then in verse 25, we have this expression. It says he was waiting for the consolation of, of Israel. In other words, he was waiting for the Messiah. Now, if you, if you tie all of these birth narratives together, okay, so, so the announcement of Jesus, the announcement of John and, and Zechariah's song in, in chapter 1, you get this idea of this great anticipation of the coming of, of Jesus to fulfill the covenants that God has made with Israel. So, in fact, go back to chapter 1. And you see something of this in verses 32 and 33. Okay, chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. Okay, so the angel is announcing the birth of Jesus, and, and she says this in, in 32. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him, now this is looking back to the, to the, to the Davidic covenant, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is what Israel's looking forward to at this time. They're looking forward to the one who will come 
to fulfill the promise of the Davidic covenant who will sit on the throne of David and, and rule over the nation of Israel because this is what God had promised to David. So when it tells us that, that um, Simeon is looking forward to the consolation of Israel, this is what he's looking for. Look what we're looking forward to. Now skip uh, down a few verses to uh, verses... Man, chapter 1 is so long. Uh, 68. Okay, skip down to, to verse 68. This is Zechariah after John the Baptist is, is born, and now he can talk. Uh, so he's, he says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember, here we go, verse 72, his holy covenant. Okay, so at this time, the anticipation of the righteous in Israel are looking forward to this one who will, who will come. So when Simeon, when it tells us that Simeon was, was waiting for the consolation of Israel, this is what he's waiting for. The promise of the covenants where there would be one who comes in the Davidic line to sit on the throne of David. Okay, so this is, this is Simeon. He's, he's righteous. He's devout. He's very familiar with his Old Testament because he's waiting for the coming of the promised one. Now let's just stop here for a second and, and just kind of make a side note. I love when the scriptures introduce us to a character in a story with this kind of brief sketch about their life. Okay, he already did this with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, but now Luke gives us a quick snapshot of Simeon's life. He's righteous, he's devout, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now I draw your attention to this just briefly because I wonder how you and I would be described if we were to have some sort of brief snapshot of our lives. Well, Phil, he was a nice guy. He loved his motorcycle and his truck, and he loved going hunting and fishing. Mary, she loved her family. She decorated her house beautifully, and she always dressed in style. Brian, he, he was mostly a grouch, uh, but his redeeming quality was that he was really handy and could, could fix anything, okay? You, you hear these kinds of things, maybe not the grouch part, but you hear these kinds of things at, at like funerals. And, and what people are doing is they're summing up what, what describes a person in a nutshell. And they're, they're summing up what they were, were passionate about. Less frequent do you hear things like this. So-and-so was righteous, devout, and anticipating the return of the Lord. But these brief descriptions, they, they, they give us the insight into what this person was passionate about. It's, it's reducing what someone was passionate about down to, to just a few small descriptions. Now, as followers of Christ, it should be our desire to be described in a similar way as, as Simeon was. Not that we could play ball or shoot a deer or decorate our home, but to be described as righteous and devout and waiting for the coming of the Lord. Now, back to our story in verse 26. We see that Simeon, 
he has a special and unique promise that has been made to him. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until, it had, until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, we don't know how this revelation happened, and we don't know when it happened. But at some point in Simeon's life, this is the promise that he receives. He's not going to see death until he sees the Lord's salvation. You know, it's, it's good that the Lord gives these promises to the righteous, because those of us who are, who are a little more earthly-minded, we'd be like testing the limits, right? Okay, well, if I'm not going to die until I see the Lord's Christ, I'm going bungee jumping tomorrow, all right? Because I've always wanted to, and now I'm assured I'm not going to die, and so I'll, I'll, I'll pursue this or, or some other wild and crazy activity, Okay. Not Simeon, okay? he's a little more upright than we are and not going to use that, uh, that promise to his own advantage. Okay? But notice, this is an incredibly special promise that Simeon receives. I mean, no one else in this day is receiving this type of promise. But the Lord takes this, this special man who's righteous and devout and whose heart was anticipating the coming Messiah. And the Lord gives him this unique and special privilege that you're not going to die until you have seen the Lord's Christ. We don't know when this happened in the course of his life, but this must have been an amazing privilege that Simeon had. So in verse 27, we see that this special occasion then unfolds. He's in the Spirit or led by the Spirit to come into the temple and he's introduced to Mary and Joseph. And And here now the one who had been waiting for the consolation of Israel takes the baby in his hands, verse 28, and he blesses God with a grateful heart that he has seen the Lord's salvation. Okay, so this is the man, Simeon. All right, now now let's get to the second portion of our passage, really in verses 29 to 35. And we are introduced to Simeon's message. Okay, so he receives the baby, takes him up in his hands. Now, here's what he says. And what he says is significant for us this morning. In fact, we're divided into two words because we have Simeon's words of praise to God. And then we have Simeon's words of prophecy to Mary. Right? So in in 29 to 32, we have praise to God. In 34 and 35, we have words of prophecy to Mary. So let's look first at Simeon's words of praise to God. He begins his praise to God by recounting God's promise to him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's salvation. In fact, just go back to verses 29 to 32, and we'll read this quickly again. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles for for, for glory to your people Israel. Okay, so, so he doesn't say, well, Mary, the baby looks beautiful and, you know, looks just like you and has beautiful eyes. No, his, his first response is, I can die happy now because I've seen the Lord's salvation. They get a pretty unique uh, response that he gives. He goes on here to say, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, let's tie this all together because this theme of salvation is, is a thread that weaves through the birth narratives quite consistently, right? So if you remember Matthew in chapter 1, you shall call the name Jesus, for he shall what? Save his people from their their sins, okay? You get to to Mary's, 
You get to Mary's situation, or Mary, you get to Mary's encounter with, with the angel in Luke chapter 1. Mary hears the, birth of, the announcement of the birth of Jesus, and she, her response is, my God and my Savior. Zechariah, when he describes John preparing the way for Jesus, he describes Jesus as the one who gives knowledge of salvation to his people. Then the angels come and, and give the announcement to the shepherds, and, and they say, for, for born this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And now Simeon's response is, I'm prepared to die because my eyes have seen your salvation. So the, the theme of salvation weaves all the way through the birth narrative. So we, we shouldn't miss this reality that the point of Christ's coming is to be the Savior or, or to be, bring salvation to his people. Now, there's a sense in which Simeon is unique, but there's another sense in which he's not unique. Because just as Simeon saw the Lord's salvation and was at peace and was prepared to die, so is everyone else who has seen the Lord's salvation. Now, we haven't seen it in the same way as Simeon. But the coming of Christ and the salvation that he brings brings the believer peace and really prepares us to be at peace with our own death. Right? If you just look at the, at the last few years and the level of fear that ran through our society with the pandemic, I, I think I noticed a distinct difference between the way believers interacted and the way unbelievers reacted. Believers, it's not like we were looking forward to death, but there, there's always with the believer a, a, a settledness that our eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. And so we're at peace. And while we might not be anticipating death, we're prepared for it because our eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. So there's a sense in which Simeon is, is unique, but there's a sense in which we're just like Simeon. We've seen the Lord's salvation in a different way, but we've been saved and at peace and prepared for eternity. Now continue in verses 31 and 32. There's a couple words that are mentioned here. He says, this is the salvation that the Lord has, and he uses this word prepare. In other words, the, the plan of redemption is, 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 is according to the definite plan of and foreknowledge of God. It's something that God has prepared from eternity, eternity past to, to carry out, to deliver, and to redeem his, his people. So this is a, a, a prepared plan of God that is being carried out in eternity present with the coming of, of, of the Messiah. He also says in this passage, it's, it's in the presence of all people. Okay, so it's not just a, a select group who get to experience the salvation of God. But, but rather, it's, it's for all people. As, as the shepherd said, we bring good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. All ages, all, all races, all cultures. The message, message of salvation is for everyone who will believe. There's no distinction. Okay? It, it's offered, offered to all. Such an idea is picked up in the next phrase. It's, it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Okay? It doesn't belong to just the Jews, but 
but, but, but it belongs to Jews and Gentiles alike. And then he says, finishes, he says, lastly, it'll be uh, for the glory to your people, Israel. Okay, so, so Israel plays a unique role in the coming of salvation because Christ comes through the nation of Israel and he reestablishes the kingdom of Israel. So Israel plays a unique role in the, in the, the salvation that Christ, that Christ brings, but it's for all people to, uh, to experience if they will believe. And so hearing this, hearing Simeon's words, or sometimes referred to as Simeon's song, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said. Because as Mary and Joseph go along, more and more details are being revealed about Jesus that they didn't previously know. And encounter after encounter happens, in fact, three times in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, these narratives are broken up in really three sections. And there's this one phrase or, or a similar phrase that, that divides these narratives up. And it's, it's this, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And then we have Mary and Joseph are astounded by this and treasure these things in her heart. And then Jesus is in the temple and he's, he's talking with the religious leaders as a, as a boy. And the whole passage finishes up with, with Mary continuing to, to treasure these things in her heart. So things are like progressively being revealed to Mary and Joseph as they're seeing the, 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 the preciousness of their son, Jesus. Now this brings us then to the crux of the passage in verses 34 and 35 where we see Simeon's words of prophecy to Mary. In fact, let's read those again. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay, so Simeon turns to Mary specifically in these words. And he's preparing her, or he's warning her, for the heartache that she's going to experience. Now this must have, if it's settled in and Mary understood it, these must have been heavy words for Mary to receive. Okay? He says, essentially, Jesus has been appointed for two things in verse 34. He says, first of all, Jesus has been appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Now, don't, don't miss that phrase in verse 34. Jesus is born. This is Simeon's prediction. Jesus has been appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Now this statement concerning Jesus takes us back to an image that's found in a number of times in Isaiah, where God is portrayed as, as setting up a, a stone of stumbling over which people will fall. And yet, in fact, in spite of the fact that some people will fall, it, it's also a stone that, that raises people up for salvation. So he's a precious cornerstone that for others will, will bring deliverance. Now this Old Testament image is, is captured a number of times in the New Testament as well, but perhaps most clearly in 1 Peter chapter 2. So let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and, and notice what's, what's said there about, about this, uh, this idea. 
So 1 Peter chapter 2, and begin with me in verse 4. Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone, okay, there's this idea of stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Now, listen to this. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying, and he's quoting Isaiah here, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay, so there's the, the many who will rise. But then he goes on and he says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Okay, so it's this idea that Simeon has in mind when he says when Jesus comes, that Jesus will be received in two different ways. He will either be the stone that people's lives are built on as they experience salvation, or Jesus will be a a stumbling block or a stumbling stone over which people trip because they can't embrace him. Okay. Now the passage goes on, if you back to Luke chapter 2, Simeon tells Mary the secondly that, that he has been appointed as a sign that is opposed. Okay. In other words, although Jesus has been well received in these first 40 days, as he gets older, there are going to be many who are opposed to Jesus and his personhood. And his teaching, and obviously we know the story of Jesus, and he was opposed by many as he continued to grow old. And then the words get real personal in verse 35. He says, a sword will pierce through your own soul. That eventually Jesus will come to the point where he's, he's tried as a criminal, he's hanged on a cross. And as John 19 verse 25 tells us, that, that guess who's at the foot of the cross as Jesus dies? His mother Mary as a sword is pierced through her own soul as she watches the death of her son on the cross. Simeon's saying, Mary, this is going to be a time of great personal pain for you as you watch Jesus be opposed by many. He finishes verse 35 and he says this, that the the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. In other words, what Jesus will do when he, when he, when he comes, as, as, he's, as, as, he, as he came here, what Jesus will do when he, when he came is that he will reveal the true nature of, of people's hearts. So in this day and age, there will be a lot of people, okay, thinking back to the time of Jesus' day, there were a lot of people who claimed to believe in, in God and who claimed to follow God, but they rejected Jesus Revealing the true condition of their heart that they didn't actually embrace God because they would have embraced Jesus. So as Jesus comes, he becomes the great revealer of the condition of the heart. Okay, so, so these are the interesting words that Simeon sets up. And at a time of, of excitement in this book of Luke, Luke Simeon brings a bit of, of news that Jesus would come to his own, but that his own would not receive him. Instead, they would stumble over him 
and the salvation that he provides. Okay, now let's, let's tie this together. All right, let's tie this, this passage together and, and talk about what it means for us today. Obviously, we live roughly 2,000 years removed from, from, from these events here. But there is a sense in which the words of Simeon ring true in, in our own day as we talk about the, the controversy of, of Jesus and the polarizing nature of, of Jesus. Okay? The, the simple truth of salvation is that Jesus did not remain an infant, but he grew up where he would be rejected by his people and crucified on a cross. Yet this was no ordinary death because the scriptures tell us that God was pleased to, to place the penalty of, of sin on Jesus Christ. And that those who would believe in Christ would be forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God. This is ultimately why Jesus came to earth, to, to die on the cross for sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. But Jesus didn't remain dead. Okay? God raised him from the dead three days later as a sign that he accepted this perfect sacrifice that Jesus had given. And this is the, the message that Simeon proclaims when he says, My eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. Yet if you think about it, this is a message that is utterly foolish. If you put it in our, our modern age of technology and our age of, of human achievement, this is a scandalous message. Okay, to say that there is a, a God who is holy and that we're rebellious sinners and that this Jew from 2,000 years ago who was supposedly born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was, was crucified as a criminal, was said to have risen again, and the message is that if you, if you turn from your sin and believe in Jesus, that you'll be forgiven and given eternal life. If you put it in our, our age of, of, of modern technology and human achievement, this is a scandalous message. But it's also the simple and confounding message that God uses to change lives for those who will embrace him today. So the way in which Simeon's day is similar to our day is that Jesus continues, even today, to be the sign that people either fall or, or rise on. That to this day, Jesus continues to, to still be either the stumbling block that people trip over because it can't be that, it can't be that simple. Or people trip over because it, this is just a foolish message. But it's also the message that, that changes hearts and lives today, that continues to, to open up people's eyes to the truth so that they come and build their lives on, on the chief cornerstone. And even today, this, this same gospel message is having this dual effect. Some people are tripping over Jesus, and some people are building their lives on Jesus. But there's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. Okay? Jesus is this controversial figure of, of, of world history, that he is either regarded as, as utterly foolish, or he is the source of our spiritual life and our, our relationship with God. And as we think about 
as we think about this message on this day, right, there are, are really two responses that, that we should have this morning. If, to this point in our lives, Jesus has been one over whom we stumble, then our response should be repentance. Because God in his grace has sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and the only way in which Jesus becomes salvation for us is if we repent and believe in him. We do not want our, our pride or our resistance to Jesus to keep us from the precious salvation that he offers. So repentance is, is one response if you don't know Christ as Savior. But the other response is rejoicing if you do know Christ as your Savior. And this is the, the, the same Christmas story that we hear every year. But we step back and realize that, that some people stumble over this message and some people receive it. And it's only by God's grace that we receive it. That, that it's not because we're inherently more intelligent or because we've got it all figured out. It's because God saw fit in his grace to draw us to himself. It, it, it should produce in us this cause for rejoicing. That's why, that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 1 finishes up, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord because of his goodness and grace in bringing us to Christ. So I love the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when it says that the word of, cross, well, the, word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I don't know the, the spiritual condition of your heart this morning and, and whether you're stumbling over Jesus because the message is too foolish and doesn't fit in our modern world. Or if you're here this morning embracing Jesus as your only hope in life and death. I don't know where you are in, 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 in those two spheres, but there really aren't any other spheres. One either accepts Jesus or rejects Jesus. And so I don't know where you might be this morning, but... These are the responses. We either repent and come to him, or we rejoice in the fact that he has been good and gracious to give us this salvation. So Jesus will be the cause of the fall and the rising of many. My hope and my prayer this morning is that for us here today, that he would be the cause of our rising, not our falling. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we're surprised this morning by Simeon's words in this particular context that he would already be preparing Mary for the sword that would pierce through her her soul. And yet we're grateful because we're reminded of, of the purpose for which Jesus came. And we're reminded that there will be many who fall over Jesus and, and, and by your grace there will be many who believe. And so we come to you this morning hearing the, the, the same message that we've heard for years but maybe rejoicing in a fresh way because 
we're reminded that by your grace and your grace alone, we rise. And so, Lord, let us walk from this place today with with hearts of rejoicing and, and hearts of thankfulness because of how good you have been to us in allowing us to build our lives on Christ. And if there are any here this morning, Lord, who are stumbling and falling over Jesus, Lord, would you open up their eyes to the truth so they would see that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to finish in a unique way this morning. and I've been contemplating this, but um, if you take your hymn books and go to 538, 